to the millions and potentially billions of people listening all around the world. Welcome back to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about some NBA basketball now that we're into the conference finals, preview the upcoming weekend of NFL football, including our betting segment, Love It or Fade It, and also touch on some other news in the sports world, including a major championship weekend in golf, Major League Baseball, college football, and some UFC fights. Episode 15 coming at you right now. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. If you are a sports fan, which I'm assuming you are if you're listening to this podcast, we've had an absolutely insane last four or five days of sports. Still kind of coming down from it. I had somewhat of a sensory overload this last weekend with so many things to watch, including last night. We had game one of the Heat versus Celtics and game seven of the Clippers versus Nuggets. P, how you doing, man? Man, I'm still kind of in shock over last night. I can't believe the Nuggets actually pulled that off coming back from 3-1 against the title favorite in the Clippers. Um, I kind of had mixed emotions about it as I was watching this game because, of course, I part of me wanted to pull for the Nuggets because America loves the underdog. But the other side of me, I took a crazy future bet last summer right before Kawhi signed with the Clippers on the Clips to win the NBA Finals plus 2,000. Wow. Um, because I had heard rumors about him signing with them on Twitter and the next day he signed. So I was like, wow, this is a great future. I can't believe you held out on me this entire time and I never knew about this. Yeah, I was being a little bit stitious about it. I didn't really want to tell you, but yeah, it just kind of sucked because I had them plus 2,000, then Kawhi signs and their odds immediately dropped to plus 400. So I spent the last year or so of my life thinking that I was a genius. And then as of last night, I'm just a guy again. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. But at the same time, you got to commend yourself. That's still a great bet. You can make great bets and still lose. That's still a good one. It was a great speculative bet. It just, it sucks to end that way. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that series to kick it off because I think that's got to be, despite all of the other things that are happening that are huge right now, that's got to be the lead story in sports. The Nuggets coming back for the second consecutive series from a 3-1 deficit, including coming back from big double-digit leads in all three of the last three games. Anything stand out to you in that series? A lot of things stood out, but just game seven is going to be stuck in my mind for so long because as happy as I am for the Nuggets, the story here is the Clippers, right? It was just so sad to watch from them. It was just a complete collapse, blowing a 3-1 lead in that fashion, people calling out their mental toughness all week, blowing multiple, you know, two score or not two score, double digit leads in the second half. It was just a nightmare night for the Clippers. It was weird because I wasn't that surprised after game six. I felt like for the second game in a row, when the Nuggets came back from whatever it was, 16 points for the second game in a row, the the Clippers just looked shell-shocked. I feel like they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know what to do. They were completely disoriented. And we had even talked about, they have no clear leader. Kawhi doesn't speak. He's, he's a mute. 
Paul George is kind of whatever. I mean, they don't have any guys who've won anything other than a, a Kawhi who doesn't speak. Like they have no one to stand up and kind of calm everyone down and move them forward. They were just shell shocked. I mean, they still got out to a whatever it was, twelve point lead in Game Seven. But from that point on, it was an absolute beating. They scored thirty three points in the second half. Yeah, it was it was terrible. And we mentioned the mental toughness, the leadership on that team. What's interesting to me when we think about this is like people knock on you know Michael Jordan for his demeanor after watching the Last Dance with the Bulls in the '90s and how much of a dick he was to his teammates at times. People hate on LeBron a little bit for his body language and how he acts for his teammates. But the bottom line is those are the guys who win. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that dog mentality, that guy who's going to put the team on his back in the fourth quarter. And even though Kawhi has done it on the floor with his play, he he doesn't do it as much with his words and sometimes you need that yeah that was weird because like you mentioned when it was going downhill for them in the third and fourth quarter no one seemed upset like no one was getting on anybody it was which needs to happen there needs to be some sort of leadership and there was just it was a complete collapse the only person i saw get upset was i think he was getting interviewed with like six minutes left you know how they make the coaches do those interviews yes uh oh, doc, doc rivers yeah. oh it was actually going into the fourth quarter yeah and uh who is it rachel nichols mm-hmm. was asking him questions like doc what do you do to get your team to turn this around you guys had a really bad third quarter and he's like <laughs> i am going to kill you <laughs> yeah. i think he said score points and get stops or something like that he just right. wanted to be done with it as soon as possible but yeah we had full-blown pandemic p going on and then his new accomplice corona Kawhi stepped in there they went 0 for 10 in the fourth quarter what was it for the game i think paul george was four for 16 and Kawhi was six for 22 yes that is so bad very very bad and yeah i I don't want to focus too much on the clippers let's give a little bit of love to the nuggets i mean they they really forced their hand on this played really well down the stretch in these last three games uh nikola Jokic, 16 points 22 boards and 13 assists i mean you can't say enough about that guy and then clearly the clippers defense was keying on him so he had to defer to jamal murray a little bit and murray scored 20 in the second quarter alone 40 for the game i mean those two guys are just a two-man machine right now and they're really going to need them against the Lakers. Oh, I'm giving all the love to the Nuggets. I don't want to, I mean, the Clippers are still a good team, even though they choke. The Nuggets are very responsible for this. I mean, they're awesome. And I had mentioned a while back, I thought they were kind of a sneaky pick. I didn't think they were going to be this much of a contender this year, but their future is really, really bright. Jokic is incredible. I think he reached a triple-double like two minutes into the second half. It was early on and he was dominating. I love how Jeff Van Gundy pointed out that he went five for 13 from the field and dominated the game. Like he was the guy. I mean, Jamal Murray had 40, so he's the other guy, but Jokic was just in control of everything. And it was really cool to watch. My favorite thing about him is I texted y'all this last night. I can't remember because I never saw Larry Bird play. Dad pointed out Larry Bird. I can't remember somebody so unathletic in the NBA being this good. He can't run or jump. He's slow and kind of fat and he's awesome at basketball. He is, and we mentioned on our last episode that he, the way he plays, he looks like he's playing in flip-flops, Yes, and it's true, and I, I can't wait to see him go up against Anthony Davis in this next series, just because Anthony Davis is a guy who, in my mind, should have won Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he's one of the top five defensive players in the league, big man matchup of the century here, and just seeing AD as athletic and as long as he is guard Jokic, when Jokic does like these He'll do these like spin moves and then shoot off the wrong foot. He does the right footed step back. He does the Dirk step back one footed one footer, but off of the 
the right foot rather than the left. Yes, like every every move that he has in his arsenal is like counterintuitive to like everything I know about how you should play basketball. And then he'll like he'll shoot jumpers on the run too. Yeah, he does crazy stuff. I, I mean, I guess that's what you got to do to create shots when you're like you said not that athletic. But I mean, he's he's a different animal. But his court vision is incredible, and he has really good hands. He has great touch around the rim. I mean, he's not one of those guys that can only dunk. He actually rarely dunks. He just has great like floater mid-range game you just gotta love watching that guy play but yeah let's go ahead and actually talk about that Nuggets versus Lakers series coming up I think something you just mentioned is my biggest question going into that which is what are the Lakers going to do lineup wise I'm really interested to see them going back up against a team with a true center unlike the Rockets whether they reincorporate JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard into the lineup or whether they stay small like they did against the Rockets and keep AD at the five what do you think it's an interesting point, and it's well documented that there's been a little bit of a disagreement this year with the Lakers wanting Anthony Davis to play the five, but he doesn't like to do so. He likes to play the four, stretch it out a little bit. What I think is the Lakers are going to start out with JaVale or Dwight Howard in there, probably JaVale to start, so that Anthony Davis can play four and not guard Jokic. Um, I think that later in the game, once it becomes tight in the fourth quarter, AD might be the primary defender on Nikola Jokic, but that's just my opinion. We'll we'll kind of see what they do. Yeah, but I mean, like conversely, think about how bad of a matchup that is for the Nuggets if the Lakers do have AD at five. I mean, you don't have really anybody to stick Jokic on if AD's the five. Because Jokic, 100%, I mean, I love the guy. He's a great player, but he does not even remotely have the quickness or the foot speed to keep up with AD. I mean, AD's going to go wild on him, right? I mean, like, I'm just not sure how that works out. I would think so. I mean, if you can't put Jokic on AD, who do you put him on? That's what I'm saying. So, like, if the Lakers have Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee out there, it's an easy out for Jokic because he guards one of those guys. If the Lakers go small and have AD, that's a much tougher matchup. I guess so. I mean, Millsap is the other big guy that's going to be out there for them. Then you got Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris on the wing. There are going to be some interesting matchups defensively for the Nugs. I don't know how they can guard both LeBron and AD. What do you see going forward in the series? Do you have a prediction? I do. I'm going to go with the Lakers in this one. I've got them winning in six. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I like the Nuggets. I love this run. Like I said earlier, America loves the underdog. It would be really cool to see them win, especially because they would be matched up in the finals with an underdog, whether it's the Heat or Celtics. It would just kind of prove that, you know, after all this pandemic stuff, the NBA putting the bubble together, that without home court advantage, with everything that's going on, anything could happen. So the Nuggets are a cool story. I ultimately just think a hungry LeBron trying to get his fourth ring, AD trying to get his first, too much firepower for him. Yeah, I think it just kind of comes down to the duos, you know, the star duos on both teams. I think that the supporting casts are probably relatively even, right? I mean, they both got a couple of good players that are somewhat inconsistent. You never really know who's going to step up as that third or fourth or fifth guy for both teams. But if you're taking LeBron and AD versus Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, I've got to go LeBron and AD. I think Lakers and six is probably a pretty good call. Yeah. Okay. Well, we agree on that. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to hate on Jokic and Jamal Murray. Their future, like you said, is extremely bright. They're going to win a ring. They need, you know, maybe one more piece to get over the hump. But I just think this Lakers team is a well-oiled machine at this point. Now that Rondo's back, they got their full rotation. They're, they're just tough. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that could derail the Lakers is if the supporting cast for the Nuggets just significantly outshoots them. I feel like, I mean, if for a series, if for six or seven games, Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris and Paul Millsap decide to get hot from the outside, I mean, they could they can very much win this series. I do not want to count them out. They're they're beyond being counted out. When you beat the Clippers like that, like you're a legit contender. This is not like some serious underdog. They are good. If they get hot from three, they could win it. 
They could. Like we've talked about the 2011 Mavs, and you never know. You shoot 60% from the field, anything can happen. But yeah, the Nugs, I mean, they, they've got a really good team. I would certainly hope that after that big comeback against the Clippers that the Lakers are taking the Nuggets seriously. But if there's one thing we know, the Lakers might not take them seriously in game one. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith are probably cooking those weed brownies right now. Yep, to yeah. beat Bobby Flay competition with the Lake Show for game one. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, I mean, the Lakers are pretty much already down 1-0. Let's see if they can come back from that deficit and sweep them after that first game yeah for real let's switch over to the eastern conference now heat celtics game one just happened last night and the heat snuck out a close one at the very end what you got in this series i don't want to bury the lead on this one that bam out of bio block in overtime to save the game for the heat was one of the best defensive plays i mean biggest defensive plays in nba history Mm -hmm. like that's awesome if that was in the finals that would 100 percent be up there with that lebron block on iggy in the 2016 finals right i mean if it was in the finals yeah i mean very very different circumstances because not only was that in the finals it was game seven with the game on the line in the final minute but yes don't kill my vibe dude <laughs> my bad yeah but that was awesome i actually respected the move from both guys i mean i loved that jason tatum was going in there to destroy the rim and it was like i'm going to make someone make an incredible defensive play on me or else i'm hammering this down and he yeah did. he thought bam had no chance at that he just went for the game winning hammer time and yeah. then bam just kind of defied gravity defied physics i don't know how his hand like it bent backwards kind of over the rim over the net if you've seen the aerial it's nuts i don't get how he blocked that yeah the guy's super strong if that's me i'm captain hook now i'm missing <laughs> i'm missing a hand so i was talking to dad earlier today and i was like did you see that aerial view of it like if if he didn't go up quite as strong or if tatum came down stronger on the dunk like that could have broken his hand on the rim oh for sure his his back of his hand might have touched the rim almost yeah but i mean regardless despite that i mean including that obviously a great performance by the heat like they were sick i love how goran dragic has just regained his old form i feel like people don't remember how good of a player he was a few years back when he was on the suns starting as their point guard he was a good player he was a over 20 point per game scorer in the nba i mean i think his career average is in the high teens maybe i don't i don't know that for sure but like he's been a good player for a long time he's killing it they had three guys with at least 20 points and then one guy that i want to give credit to who we haven't talked about a lot yet tyler hero man tyler hero is a really good player and i don't think i can ever remember a rookie just consistently performing in clutch moments like this he gets the ball a lot as a closer at the end of games and makes awesome decisions and awesome plays like the guy just has it in him he's he's just clutch he's good he is good and it's funny you mentioned him and i know you love him but i actually put a future bet on him to win rookie of the year before the season <laughs> which turned out to be a horrible bet i mean i don't know that he ever really had a shot with uh zion and jaw in there but anyway he's he's making me not too sad that I took that. I don't look like a complete idiot. He's a really good player on both ends of the floor and he's earned, you know, big minutes down the stretch in the fourth quarter of these games. Oh, he's on their closing team. Like when it gets down to halfway through the fourth quarter to the end of the game, he's in there. Like he's always going to be in there. He's one of their main guys. I mean, I think he was what a one assist short of a triple double in game one. I think he had like 12, 11, and 9. Yeah, he played really well. Jay Crowder played really well. He shot 5 for 9 from 3. You mentioned Goran Dragic with 29 points and 7 assists. I mean, we mentioned last week how much of a difference it made for Rondo coming back uh, for the Lakers, just that rotation, how much he adds there. Goran Dragic being a third scorer, in this case, their leading scorer in the game, I mean, that's huge for them. That mm-hmm. makes them a completely different team. The Heat are dangerous. I, I take the Celtics in the series. I think they're winning it in 7 games, but the Heat are serious man yeah they're really good yeah i mean looking back at the box score the heat shot really well i think they were in the mid 40 percent 44 percent or so from three 
and uh, the Celtics did not shoot really well, and especially Kemba did not have a good game. So I think if you kind of even out those stats and as guys regress to the mean, this is going to be just an absolute battle. I'm taking the Celtics in game two for sure, but I think this could go six or seven. I'm expecting it to. Right. It was kind of a back and forth game. I mean, my takeaway at the end is I kind of thought the Celtics looked like the better team most of the game, if not all of it. They just had a couple, you know, tough runs in the second and fourth quarter. They got outscored 35 to 23 in the fourth, blew a two or double digit lead. So that was unfortunate. But I mean, like that's what the Heat do. The Heat just out tough people at the end of games. I mean, it's I like how Jimmy Butler just continues to will them to wins, including shots that don't really like aren't his shot that don't deserve to go in necessarily, including that corner three he hit that was like really clutch at the end of the game. That's not the kind of shot that he's like a great shooter at, but he just comes through in the clutch and does what he needs to do and wills them to victory. How many duos in the league would beat Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in a street fight? Mm, that's a really good question. Not many. I'm trying to think of some. Just talking about how well they play down the stretch, their toughness, their grind. I mean, those guys are scary. <laughs> I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind that would probably beat them is Boban and J.J. Barea if they did this whole, like, the big show and Rey Mysterio act. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I like that immediately. When you got one guy choke slamming somebody, another guy coming through with a 619. Ooh, I like that. That's about as good as it gets right I there. I love right? it. That's a really good answer off the top of your head. Thank, thank you. All right. Is that it for NBA today? Uh, that's all I got, except for, I guess, one last thing. Now that the Clippers are out of the playoffs, you know what the good thing about that is? What's that? Who do you think takes over as playoff P? Playoff P. You? Yep. <laughs> that's me, baby. I'm the rightful heir. I am now playoff P. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Ready well, for the conference finals. Well, okay. Fair enough. Let's move on now to one of our old favorite segments, a big three draft. We haven't done one of these in a while, but if y'all haven't been around for one of these before, we just take a category and do a big three draft to see who can come up with the best team of something. And in honor of the Clippers blowing a 3-1 lead, we are going to do a big three draft of the greatest, biggest chokes in sports history. I'm excited for this one. And I think I had the first overall pick in the last draft. So you get the number one overall pick in this one, which I'm a little bummed about because I'm pretty sure we would have been on the same page here. But what you got with the number one overall? Yeah, this one was not even a question to me. It's the biggest and just my favorite, by far, my favorite choke job in the history of sports. The 2016 NBA Finals where the Cleveland Cavaliers came back from down 3-1 to the Golden State Warriors to win the NBA Finals and break their curse and win LeBron's biggest championship. That's definitely my favorite one. What do you remember from that? So I would have taken that number one overall. I love that too. What I remember from it is just my general LeBron fanhood. I feel like I'm the creepiest LeBron fan in the world, mm -hmm. just the way that I've flip-flopped. You're a lifelong Bron guy. Yes, I, I was am. kind of indifferent towards him in his first run in Cleveland. He just he made that one finals where he dragged that terrible team with like Daniel Marshall and Zadrunas Olgowskis in the starting Sasha five. To Pavlovich. The they were so bad. Anyways, I was indifferent towards him then. Once he went to the Heat and formed that super team, I kind of hated him for a while. And then when he went back to Cleveland with kind of the goal for the rest of his career to win them one championship, I thought that was one of the coolest things ever. I just re I specifically remember that day seeing the article at work like, holy tits, this guy's yeah. going back to Cleveland. The letter, and you texted it to me. Yeah. I found out from you. Yeah, what was it on the Players' Tribune? Yes. Oh, it was so cool. Just like, like Cleveland, I'm coming home. I thought that was awesome. So for him to win that one was just so cool. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most satisfying sports moments in my life, like, ever easily i mean i am like you said a lifelong lebron fan i first read about lebron on the cover of sports illustrated 
in when he was in like high school. I think he was a junior in high school. And then if you remember, there were a couple times in his career where you were either with him or against him. And that kind of like solidified my fanhood. So early on, I don't know if you remember this, it was a big debate of who was better, LeBron or Melo. And so you're either a LeBron guy or a Melo guy. So I was LeBron. And then later on, he wasn't really winning anything big. And so people started hating on him and I stuck with him. Then he left for the heat. And that's when everyone started hating him and I stuck with him. So I was like hardcore entrenched in LeBron. I would get ridiculed for it all the time. It got a lot better once he won for the heat, but then winning one for the Cavs, that being his new goal was really cool. Do you remember how the series went exactly like the beginning of it? The beginning, I mean, obviously they got down 3-1 and then Draymond kicked a dude in the nuts or whatever, and that kind of turned the series with that suspension. But what are you getting at? Well, people don't remember how badly they got destroyed at the beginning. They got murdered in the first two games. They lost the first two games by a combined 48 points. Like they got killed, not even close. And it's kind of weird even looking back at it now. Out of all seven games, game seven was the only one that was even a game in the fourth quarter, which is, isn't that kind of weird? So like the Warriors destroyed him in games one and two. Uh, the Cavs won game three by 30. The Cavs, yeah, then then in game four, Draymond decided to punch LeBron in the nuts after previously having gone Bruce Lee on Steven Adams nuts a couple times in the prior series. So he gets suspended and then you go on and I think LeBron and Kyrie both had 40 in game five. And then, yeah, and you ended up getting to game seven and just the amazing sequence at the end. No one could score for like the last four minutes of the game. And then LeBron has the amazing block. Kyrie comes down, gets switched onto Steph Curry, hits that game winning three. And you and I were watching that together. And it was one of the coolest things. One of my favorite sports moments ever. Yeah, it was nuts. I remember watching it at your apartment because I think we were one of the only people we know pulling for the Cavs in that one. So we wanted to watch it alone. But anyway, yeah, what sticks out to me about that series is just the end of game seven. I think the Warriors scored two points in like the last six minutes and change or something like that just kind of laments the choke job. They just couldn't hit anything. It was just, it was crazy. That was a good one. I missed that rivalry. Yeah. I mean, I hated, I hated the Warriors so much, but in a way it was good for the sport because it was everybody against them. If, if they had never lost one, if they had won all of them while they had that kind of dynasty going on, it would have been bad for the sport, I think. But the fact that someone stole one from them was really cool. It was really cool, but you could also view it as stealing one from LeBron, right? That's what makes Mm -hmm. it cool is when you think about the past, what, 20 years of basketball, it's the Golden State Warriors dynasty and whoever LeBron is on. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, the last 10 years or so, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, mixing the Spurs every few years or whatever. But yeah, having the player of this generation versus the dynasty of the generation playing the finals, what, three or four times in a row? Yeah, a few, yep. And they hated each other too, which I loved. Like at the post uh, finals parades, what did they do? I think LeBron like wore the Ultimate Warrior shirt, yeah. trolling them. And then it was at the next year when the Warriors swept him with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green wore the Quickie shirt. Gosh, that just makes, <laughs> it makes my blood boil to this day. I hate the Warriors. I know. I'm sorry. I'm triggering you. Anyway, okay. So my first overall pick in this big three draft, not quite as cool, but I'm going with another big rivalry the 2004 Yankees versus the Red Sox. Yeah, for sure. The cool thing about this one is the history between the two teams, specifically the year before. In 2003, the Yankees beat the Red Sox in Game 7 of the ALCS on a walk-off home run by Aaron Boone. One of the coolest walk-offs ever. I mean, what what cooler feeling is there than that in sports, just hitting a walk-off home run to go to the World Series? But fast forward back to 2004, the Yankees and Red Sox meet again in the ALCS, matchup to go to the World Series, of course. The Yankees go up three games to none, and they blow it. The Red Sox come back, win 4-3 in Game 7, and then the coolest thing about it is they go on to win the World Series, which broke the 86-year curse of the Bambino. 
Yeah, I remember watching that and just having so much fun because they're down and you give them no chance because no one ever comes back from 3-0. And it was just such a slow build up. And then you kind of get to game six and you're like, okay, they have a chance, just got to win two more. And then game seven was awesome. And then I feel like the entire world was pretty much behind them for the World Series. And seeing them win it after they hadn't won for you know decades before we were even born was one of the really cool moments in sports. It was, and it's really weird to think about because everyone was pulling for the Red Sox because the Yankees, of course, are the evil empire. And it's just strange to think of the Boston Red Sox as this big underdog. But I mean, they hadn't won a World Series in 86 years. They had a ton of likable players like Big Poppy Ortiz, Johnny Damon, whoever else they had, Dustin Pedroia. I don't know if he was there at that Manny point. Manny Ramirez hit 43 bombs for them that year. Let's go. But yeah, they were just this likable underdog team, and it was kind of before Boston fans in general became insufferable. So that was a cool one. It was cool. They're pitching staff was pretty dope too. Josh Beckett? No, it was uh, Pedro Martinez, Kurt Schilling, Derek Lowe, Tim Wakefield chucking knuckleballs, Bronson Arroyo. Like that's fun. Is that like three Hall of Famers? It's pretty dope. Yeah. Who's the third one? I don't know. You always add one for emphasis. (laughs) Tim Tim Wakefield, Young Young Kim. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I like that team. That was, that was a really fun one. All right. So with my second pick, which is the third overall pick, I hate to do it to the peeps out there, but it's got to be Super Bowl 51. The Falcons being up 28 to three with two minutes and 12 seconds left in the third quarter and then losing in overtime to the New England Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I'm not going to say anymore because everyone knows about that. But if you're coming up with the biggest choke jobs in sports history, it's got to be high on the list. It's hard to admit that one. I mean, there's no shame in losing a Super Bowl to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Pats, though. So I'm not going to pile on that one. Let's move on. With my second pick, I'm going to go with the 1999 British Open. Okay. Little golf. You know what I'm talking about here? Greg Norman? Uh, so Greg Norman is a big one, but this one is actually Jean Van Develde. Oh, I do remember that. Oh, yeah. Yes. This is a big one. I mean, it's funny because this is such a big joke job that no one's ever heard of this guy other than this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he's known for. Right. So the 99 British Open, he's leading by three strokes on the 18th tee box. All he needs, it's a, you know, 499 yard par four, you know, just hit it down the fairway, 200 yards, whatever. He needs a, a double bogey six on this hole to win the tourney. He shanks his drive off the grandstand hits the next one in the drink the picture that i remember from this is him standing in the water with With both of his pant legs rolled up it's just the saddest thing but anyway he he hit a six foot putt for triple bogey to join two other guys in a four hole playoff and he ends up losing so just gut-wrenching stuff from mr vandeveld a movie 18th hole at the british open you hate to see it but i mean it comes to mind as one of the biggest choke jobs in sports history yeah that's that's a really tough one there's been a few big golf ones greg norman and phil mickelson being the other two that come to mind right at the top of my head but yeah that's that's a big one all right so with my next pick and my third and final pick for my team I'm going with one that's not that big or really like well-remembered, I don't think, but one that was just really, really enjoyable to watch. And I remember watching it live and it just has a fond place in my memory. And it is back in the day when UCLA played Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. Do you remember this game I'm talking about? What year was this? It was 2006 and Gonzaga behind Adam Morrison, your boy built a really big lead they're up 17 points and then it kind of like slowly started dwindling down but it was still a pretty big lead with just a couple minutes left 
And part of the fun of this was that this is back when, what are you laughing at? I just didn't know Adam Morrison was my boy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Adam Morrison's Logan's boy. Yes, he is. Comments on every one of our Insta stories with Adam Morrison being yep. the answer to a trivia question. All right. So yeah, they had a 17 point lead and then it got dwindled down a little bit. And one of the most fun parts was that Gus Johnson was calling this game and losing his mind, freaking out, like borderline brain aneurysm for like half an hour. Anyways, it comes down to the end, and there was just a crazy free throw, turnover, game-winning layup by Luke Richard and Bahamute situation. And I just remember Gus freaking out and it being a crazy 17-point comeback in the Sweet 16 to go to the Elite Eight, and it was a really fun game. So they also... Adam Morrison was crying on the floor afterwards. That's yes, big. so that's what sticks out in my head about this game. When you said it was 2006 in Gonzaga, the only thing I can picture is Adam Morrison crying on the floor at the end of that game. But that's a good transition because Adam Morrison was the number three overall pick to the Charlotte Bobcats in the draft. You remember who selected him? Michael Jordan. He did. So my third pick is a 1994 basketball game featuring Michael Jordan. You know what I'm talking about? 1994? No, tell me. 94. So Michael Jordan was technically retired, but he participated in a basketball game between the Monstars and the Looney Tunes. I cannot believe I didn't get that. Yeah, so this was a monster choke job, probably more than you even realized. I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. So the Monstar is just a massive favorite in this game. They literally sucked the talent from Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogue, Sean Bradley. These are like all-stars and in some cases, Hall of Famers playing against Looney Tunes. (laughs) By the way, just I love how they chose awesome guys like Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, and they throw in Sean Bradley. Uh, you need some height? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, but they couldn't find it elsewhere. There were no other tall guys in the NBA. You need an intimidator with like 7'6", Sean Bradley. Who's going to intimidate him? Patrick Ewing? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yes, that's a joke. Anyway, have you ever seen the box score from this game? Give it to me. This is awesome. So luckily, Harvard Sports Analysis prepared a box score from this game, and the tail of the tape is just nuts. Like, the Monstars came out hot. They got up 66-18 to 18 at halftime. So... You know, wow. The, yeah, a pretty big deficit. But at halftime, the Looney Tunes took or all drank Mike's special stuff. They had a 48 to 2 run in the second half and ended up pulling it out on a buzzer beating half court arm extendo dunk from Michael Jordan, who shot 22 for 22 on the game. Wow. I didn't, I had no idea he shot 100%. Yeah. So that was a wild game. I need to go back and watch that soon. It's pretty crazy if you look at the box score because everyone thinks is the Monstars as like this juggernaut team that was unbeatable. But then you look at the stats for the Looney Tunes. They shot 39 for 39 on the game. 100% averaged 132 points per 100 possessions. Like just an insanely efficient offense. Being down 66 to 18 at halftime while shooting 100% from the field. Well, they didn't get many shots. They yeah. had way too many turnovers. Yeah, they did. Just curious. Do you have any idea who the second leading scorer was for the Toon Squad? Who was the number two guy behind MJ? I want to say that it was Lola, but I I honestly don't know because they had MJ, they had Bill Murray who, you know, he didn't play defense, so he had to be decent at offense, but I want to say it was Lola. Isn't it kind of weird that Larry Bird was in the movie but didn't make a basketball appearance? All I remember is that they called him clear playing golf and then he kind of disappeared. Yeah, I'm not white and I'm clear. Clear. Larry Bird is clear. I'm pretty clear too. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah, all right. Well, I did want to give one special mention, honorable mention here, for a game that is not a big game at all. It's another March Madness game that somehow very few people remember, but it's almost impossible to blow this lead, and so I feel the need to mention it. 2016, March Madness, second round, Northern Iowa versus Texas A&M. Do you have any idea what this was? 
I don't think so. Texas A&M was down 12 points with 45 seconds left in a March Madness game and won in regulation. Sorry, say that again. 12 points in 45 seconds. Yeah, that's not that's not possible. Isn't that insane? And you know who the two, leader, two leaders were of that A&M team? No. Alex Caruso and Daniel House, Bubble Boy. Wow, getting okay. Getting kicked out, yeah. The Caruso. Yeah, so 12 points. I mean, that's just insane. That's the biggest comeback in March Madness history. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I think Reggie Miller, what, he had nine points in eight seconds that one time. That's the only thing I've ever heard that's like even remotely close to that. Yeah, it was crazy. Or like, uh, I think Tracy McGrady had 13 and 33, which was pretty dope too. That is nuts. And then I had one honorable mention, but it's just whichever team choked away the game that allowed Bobby Boucher to come back and have the Mud Dogs win the Bourbon Bowl, but we don't need to go into that. Yeah, SCLSU was a powerhouse that year. They were a powerhouse. Well, that'll do it for our big three. We'll post it on Instagram. You guys can vote on who you think won that big three draft of biggest choke jobs in sports history. Lando, you ready to move on to some NFL talk? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Well, before we get into any games specifically, let's talk about a couple of rumors that are floating out there after this week. Apparently, the Browns may be shopping Odell Beckham Jr. for a trade. And also, it has been reported that Allen Robinson, wide receiver for the Bears, is unhappy and may request a trade as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, isn't this kind of the tale as old as time as far as wide receivers are concerned? They tend to not be very happy where they are especially when their team's not winning and especially when they're not catching a lot of balls. I mean, Odell goes one week losing the game and is not the leading receiver on his team. And all of a sudden rumors start flying. Exactly. And it's funny because we talked about Baker Mayfield, how he might not last in the league. And I saw someone this week, you know, how Mr. Uh, or sorry, Russell Wilson is Mr. Unlimited. Yes. I saw someone refer to Baker Mayfield as Mr. Limited. He, he seems <laughs> to be thus far. He seems very limited in his ability to complete passes, win games, throw touchdowns. Yes, exactly. And so I guess my question for you here about OBJ and Allen Robinson, do you think either one will be traded? And if so, do you think it will be the Texans and Bill O'Brien who panic and trade more for one of these guys than they got back for the the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I feel like there are enough teams with offensive needs that one of them will be traded. I mean, people just desperately need wide receivers, especially once we get a little bit deeper into the season and people start going down with injuries. So yes, I mean, Odell's going to be harder because he's got a bigger contract. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that if there's rumors flying about both of them, yeah, I'd guess that one of them will be traded. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be Allen Robinson because given their quarterback situation with the very depressing quarterback battle between Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, they're clearly going to be drafting a quarterback and moving on from those guys next year. So you don't want to have zero weapons for your new quarterback to throw to. So if I had to bet on one, it would be OBJ. But anyway, that's all on that for now. Any uh, Anything else you're looking forward to from the NFL this weekend? I think the biggest thing that I'm looking at is teams that are expecting to make playoff runs that started 0-1 last week needing bounce back games. I mean, there's a bunch of those teams that kind of stand out to me, especially teams that play each other, like the Falcons and the Cowboys. Both are trying to make the playoffs this year. Both started 0-1, need a bounce back game. Um, You also got the Vikings and Colts. Both started 0-1, both have playoff aspirations. And then teams like the Niners who lost game one, like a bunch of teams that need a bounce back in week two. Starting 0-1 in the NFL, you're fine. Starting 0-2, you start to think there's a little bit of trouble. So those are kind of the teams I'm looking out for. I'm with you on that. And then before we even get to the Sunday games, I just want to mention the Thursday night football game. We've got Browns and Bengals. I know it doesn't sound all that exciting on paper, but you know we mentioned Baker Mayfield, who really needs to step it up and he needs to perform for his new head coach. And then I'm more excited to watch the Bengals. I mentioned them in our NFL preview as like my top five league pass teams to watch. I don't know if their offense is going to be all that exciting at the beginning 
beginning of the year, given that Joe Burrow, you know, didn't have a full camp, isn't fully up to speed on the offense, but I want to see me some Joey Burrow. Yeah, I was really excited to watch the Bengals last Sunday, and then I started watching them, and I got less excited very quickly. It right. Was, it was pretty tough to watch, but yeah, I still want to see what he does, and then I also want to see what the Browns look like against a non-superhuman team. I mentioned last time that everyone looks bad to some extent against the Ravens. They're easy to look bad against, so playing a you know subpar team, a team that went 2-14 and 14 last year, this is a game that the Browns have to win, and I want to see what they look like. Me too, but it's more about Burrow. Yeah, I'm with you. Joey B all day. <laughs> yeah, and then the other game that I'm really looking forward to is Sunday night, Seahawks at Patriots. Rematch from the Super Bowl from 2015. By the way, I looked up the box score of this game earlier trying to figure out which Super Bowl it was. I think it was 39, but I couldn't really read the Roman numeral. So I'm going with uh, 2015. Definitely not 39. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> no. Oh, it's 2015. Wait, what was the last one? 52? Yeah. Okay, so that would have been 40, 40 mid 40, 40, 40, yes, 49 maybe. Whatever, man. I'm 39. Yeah, well, I'm not <laughs> trying to be the best at Roman numerals, so congrats, man. But anyway, rematch from that Super Bowl. A lot has changed since then. You no longer have the Legion of Boom in Seattle. You no longer have the GOAT Tom Brady in New England. But still, Russell Wilson versus Bill Belichick. Russell Wilson versus Cam Newton. I'm excited to see that matchup. What do you think about this game? Yeah, that'll be a really cool game. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, I mentioned how I want to see the Browns against not quite as good of a team i want to see the patriots with cam newton against a better team they beat the dolphins last week 21 to 11 in a complete snooze fest they didn't really force cam newton to throw the ball and he ran the ball really well but he didn't have to do much through the air i want to see what he does against the seahawks yeah cam newton had 15 carries for 75 yards in that last game will he be able to run the ball quite as much or will he need to air it out since the seahawks are going to put up some points but i really want to see cam newton and jamal adams meet in the hole on a play i just cam newton's one of the last people i want to meet in the hole that guy would put me through the ground i would look like the little giants against spike <laughs> spike don't play with girls he does not spikes in peewee hell yeah well that might be the best game of the week so certainly looking forward to that one we'll see what mr unlimited can do against cam newton the new new england patriots quarterback I mean, I'm also just really excited after last week to see what kind of suit Cam Newton wears to the game. I mean, you can't go look, you can't go louder than that one last week, can you? I don't think so, but I mean, he is undefeated dressing as Mr. Peanut, so maybe he'll go with that again. I mean, I would respect it. Big yellow guy. All right, well, anyway, let's move on to our betting segment of our NFL talk. Uh, We introduced a new segment on our last episode called Love It or Fade It. This segment is where we will give you the three most popular picks from the betting weekend that the public loves, and we'll tell you whether we love the pick or we want to fade the public on this one. Um, Shout out to the people who went 3-0 in week one on our Instagram competition matt poteet connor kelly joey davis and matt clark good work guys everyone else who didn't do quite as well keep it up i mean it's a long season 17 weeks whoever has the most wins at the end of the season wins a 100 dollars StubHub gift card yeah you got a lot of time left to come back you still got 48 games over the next 16 weeks don't give up yet keep on sending in your picks just get them in before the game start Good stuff. Were you ready for the game one of this week, Lando? Let's get it. All right. So number one, it's Chiefs at Chargers. 90% of the public is on Chiefs minus nine. What do you think here? Okay. Here are my thoughts. That anytime the public is 90% on something, I am going the other way 100% of the time. I mean, everything that my eyes have seen and that my brain is telling me would indicate that the Chiefs would absolutely destroy the Chargers and beat them by like 35 I mean, I, if I had to guess on the score of the game, I would say it'd be like, you know, 35 to 13 or something like that. But when the public's going 90%, I'm going the other way just because 
in life, it is a rule of thumb. The majority is usually wrong. When everybody is sure about something, it almost always goes the other way. And Vegas is really smart. So I'm going to fade this one. I'm taking the the Chargers, I should say, plus nine. Okay, you've got Chargers plus nine. I'm going to go the other way here. And it's funny because I took... I went love it on all the the ones last week and went three and zero going with the public. So it would make sense for me to fade the public this week due to the natural regression. But I'm going to keep rolling with them. Oh man, let's go public. Chiefs minus nine. Um, the spread could be twenty points, and I'd still take the Chiefs. I just love this team. Sorry if you guys get sick of me, but I will continue to ooze about the Chiefs all season long. <laughs> I just love Pat Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones. I love Andy Reid and his mustache. They're just so good. And the Chargers Tyrod Taylor offense just isn't scaring anybody. Like, I don't know how many points they're going to score against this Chiefs defense that's been kind of rejuvenated since the last half of last season. And I just think that, I don't know, I I wasn't going to provide a score prediction. But now that you said it, I'm going with what you said, 35-13, rubbing it in your face. Well, you just said that even if it was minus 20, you'd take it. So will you take it minus 20? Dude, come on. What do you mean? You just said it. You, you giving you giving me odds? Ooh, okay. So let's do a board bet, but I get two to one odds. Why you just told me you would take the minus twenty even if it was the spread, so why would I have to give you odds? You're a jerk. Next time you say something outrageous, I'm calling you out on it and you have to bet on it. All right, I got Chiefs minus 20, you dick. Let's move on. All right, game two, Ravens minus seven at Texans. 82% of the public is on Ravens minus seven after that great performance last week uh, against the Browns and the Texans poor performance last week against the Chiefs. Lando, who you got here, Ravens, Texans? Well, this falls below my 90% threshold, so I don't automatically have to go against the public. I'm going to go with the Ravens with on this one just because I watched that Texans game last week and I am very, very unimpressed with their offense. I think the Ravens are just, just going to put up points against everybody. And without DeAndre Hopkins, without many wide receiving threats, I just don't think the Texans can score enough points to keep up with them. So I'm going Ravens minus seven. I'm loving it. I'm loving it too. I mean, this spread, the Ravens just looked so good last week. The Texans are not going to stop that offense with Lamar Jackson and all the weapons they have around him. And then the other side of the ball, I mean, the Texans offense, they just signed their new quarterback, Deshaun Watson, to a big deal. They got David Johnson in there, decent running back. But their wide receiver situation is just kind of a mess. They traded away Hopkins, which is obviously well-documented, and they kind of tried to replace him with two guys, Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb. And I think Brandon Cooks is injured and will be out this week. So they just don't have enough firepower offensively to keep up with this Ravens offense. I'm going with the Ravens in a landslide, 41 to 17. Ouch, that's a beating, but that's what the Ravens do. That's what the Ravens do. All right, last game here, Jags and Titans. What's more exciting than this? We've got Jags plus eight and a half at Tennessee. 82% of the public is on the Jaguars. What you think? This is kind of a tough call. I'm not really sure. I mean, the Titans did not look great on offense. They put up 16 points against the Broncos, and so trying to cover that big of a spread is a little tough. I think I'm going to love it and roll with your boy Gardner Minshew and the Jags plus eight and a half. I guess Let's I'm go. loving it. Is he elite? He's still not elite, and they're still going to take Trevor if they get the one overall pick. All right, I'm just going to keep asking if he's elite as he continues to light up playoff teams. But I was tempted to go with uh, neither on this one and predict that the Titans would win by exactly eight and a half. But I'm going to go with my better instincts and I'm going to fade this one as well because Minshew Mania. Um, I just think this is going to be a low scoring game. AFC South grinded out battle. Jaguars are going to be trying to run out the clock, shorten the game. The Titans, that is their game with Derrick Henry just pounding it. I just, I think it's going to be close. I've got Titans winning 23 to 16. They're one of my teams this year. 
think they're going to win 10 games, win that division. But 23-16, that's a cover for the Jags. I'm fading it. Just curious, do you know what Gardner Minshew's completion percentage was last week? A million. Just, I, I want you to actually give me a number. What do you think it was? Uh, let's go with the way you're asking. I'm going to go with 54. 95. 95? <laughs> it was 19 for 20. Because he's the goat. Okay, you tricked me. The way that you asked, I thought you were insinuating that it was bad. But no. yeah, I'm not shocked. I'm surprised it wasn't 96. I'm just I'm just looking at it right now. It's funny because he only threw for 173 yards, but he was 19 for 20. That's that's wild. That's 173 awesome. yards in which quarter? <laughs> all four. <laughs> oh, Minshew, baby. All right, well, that's all we have for Love It or Fade It. If you did not participate on Instagram last week, it's not too late. Jump in this week. Whoever has the most win predictions at the end of the 17-week season will win a $100 StubHub gift card. And while we're on the subject of football, why don't we go on to college football and talk about some big news that came out. The Big Ten has announced that they, after initially closing down the season and saying they're not going to play, They saw all the other conferences making hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're like, oh, we're screwed. We need to do that. And so they are going to start playing some football. And I think, I don't know if this is right. I think I saw it today. They're going to start on October 24th. Is that correct? I did not see October 24th. I just know it's going to be an October start date. But what this reminds me of, and it's kind of funny, is like, have you ever done anything and you expected all of your friends or whatever to follow suit and then no one did? So you immediately had a remorse about it? Many times. Yeah, I think the Big Ten here was like Frank in old school going streaking through the quad <laughs> down to the gymnasium, like, everyone's coming. Come on, let's go. Yeah. And just no one followed suit. So what we're finding out from the Big Ten is that the only thing that's more contagious than COVID is FOMO. Yes. So they saw the SEC's playing, the ACC's playing, the NFL is up and running and everyone's loving it. So they got FOMO and we're like, all right, let's play. Heard that. Yeah, (laughs) that was, yeah, pretty funny. They had instant regret after what they did. And so it's going to be, I don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, they can't participate in the playoff. They can't have a national championship, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be just to make the money and play the, the conference games. I mean, if it's October 24th, that's what, four weeks after the other major conferences. So they could make it work. It wouldn't surprise me at all. They might just have to go with like an eight game regular season all in conference. It's going to be weird. I mean, I'll take any college football I can get this year. I mean, I just, I'm not a huge Big Ten guy, but I want there to not be an asterisk for whoever wins the national championship. So that's the main reason I want the Big Ten playing. Right. And I mean, the Big Ten, again, like they just got FOMO here and thought that the world wouldn't move on without them, but they clearly did. It's like you only have one team in Ohio State that's nationally competitive on an annual basis and you play in the Midwest. Like the world can move on without you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But anyway, it's good to have them in there. Pencil Ohio State into the college football playoff if it happens along with Clemson. So yeah, and Oklahoma. So I mean, those three in the SEC champion, that's pretty much what you got. It's like clockwork pretty much every year. Yep. And then we've got another major sporting event going on this weekend. We have the U.S. Open of Golf. After last weekend, we finished the U.S. Open of Tennis. This weekend, they'll be playing at Winged Foot in New York. P, what you got as far as a prediction for this weekend? So the big guy, Dustin Johnson, is the favorite at plus 750 fresh off of his win at the PJ Tour Championship last week. I'm not going to go with the favorite here. I'm going to go with the guy who is fourth on the odds. He's somebody that I picked as a sleeper to win the last major, but was too scared to pull the trigger on. I am going with my dude, Colin Morikawa. Okay. He's the man. I love that guy. He's, he's hard to root against. Yeah. I mean, US Open golf just tends to be different than other golf tournaments, especially at a challenging course like Winged Foot. 
just because it's not guys who can go super low who win. It's just the guys who can stay around par. It's guys who can save par, who can make clutch putts, who can you know get out of the rough, get up and down out of bunkers. I mean, it's it's just a really tough course. Just curious, do you have any idea? The last time the U.S. Open was at Winged Foot was it, it was in 2006. Do you have any idea what the winning score was? Four over. Five over. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I recently saw leading up to this week, some of the guys talking about how hard this course is and how the average score there over, I don't know what period of time was like 75. So yeah, that's three over par. Yeah. There's like very, very rarely does someone finish a tournament at this course under par, which is crazy. So Jeff Ogilvy won the 2006 US Open at five over. So it's going to be tough. You just need guys who are going to hit fairways and greens and stay somewhere close to par. I'm going with guy who's tied for seventh best in the odds. That's Webb Simpson. Just kind of a solid, steady, consistent guy. I think he's got a good shot. On a course like this, you just need guys who can do everything well from driving to fairway shots to putting. So um, I think these guys both have a pretty decent long and short game. So you got Simpson. I got Morikawa. Cool. Yeah. And this is kind of my favorite brand of golf. I actually like this more than I like the other thing. I mean, like, for example, the tournament a few weekends ago when DJ won it at 30 under, I don't like that as much as I enjoy this brand of golf where you're just fighting for par. I like when par is an accomplishment and guys are out there battling the course. I think that's more fun. Yeah, I mean, one time in 2012, I shot a 22 under in a round on PGA uh, Tiger Woods Golf. So like that was my favorite round ever, but I kind of get that you like this brand of golf where guys are just fighting and grinding it out just to stay around par. You and Kim Jong-un, man, you guys are the two best golfers of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are very good. But anyway, that's all we got on the US Open starting on Thursday. Lando, you want to move on to UFC? Yeah, so one big thing that's happening this weekend that I wanted to point out is one of the best free UFC fight cards that's happened in a long time. The three main events, which by the way, the the main card starts at 8 p.m. on ESPN or ESPN Plus. The three main fights in that card are awesome. Starting with the main event, which is Tyron Woodley against Colby Covington. Do you know anything about those guys? No, but give me Covington. Yeah, so Colby (laughs) Covington is like a WWE character. He seems fake, like he's playing a role, but I actually think he's not. I mean, his entire life seems to be predicated upon just pissing people off as much as possible. He's like the ultimate troll, walks around all the time with the Make America Great Again hat on. He has Donald Trump Jr. come to all his fights and sit ringside. He just says everything he possibly can to piss people off, and so people like to root against him, but it's tough because he's a really, really good fighter. And he's fighting against Tyron Woodley, who for years was the welterweight champions this this fight is at 170 so he's a monster he's coming off two consecutive losses and colby covington also lost his last fight they both lost recently to kamaru uzman who is an awesome champion at 170 so two guys looking to get back on track that are both really really good Donald Trump Jr. going to all of those guys' fights is a movie. That's hilarious. But anyway, yeah, I don't know much about UFC. I'm just going to pick a fighter based on the name. So give me Covington. (laughs) Okay. And then the second biggest fight or the number two fight that's happening is Donald Cerrone, cowboy, against Nico Price. Cerrone has been one of the biggest, I wouldn't say draws, but one of the most entertaining fighters for the UFC for a long time. He always stays really active fights a ton. He's always game to fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. So you got to love that about him. He's coming towards the tail end of his career and has actually lost his last four fights in a row, including the one that everyone thinks of when he got shouldered in the dome a million times by McGregor and got KO'd in like a minute. That was last year, right? This is Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he just become like this punching bag, just a filler fight for some of the big guys. Well, it's kind of sucks because he doesn't deserve that. I mean, he's one of like, he's like UFC royalty to some extent. I mean, he's highly, highly respected in the sport just because he's done it for so long and he's so good or was so good. But he's fighting Nico Price, who hasn't had any huge fights yet, but he's a really exciting guy to watch. So that's kind of the number two fight. 
But then the one I'm actually most excited about of all is my guy, Kamzat Chemaev. If you haven't seen this guy fight, he is like the up-and-coming must-watch fighter in the UFC. I forget, have you watched him yet? Chemaev, no, but you've told me about him. I've seen highlights. Isn't he the guy who's just kind of a full-blown psychopath and wants to fight like every two weeks? Oh, man, it's even it's even worse than that. So he's he's super Russian, but he's like, he's Chechnyan. So he's like Middle Eastern Russian. What's, what was that word? Chechnyan. It's okay. a territory Continue. of Russia. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. So he's like, he's bald, with a big beard, you know, like that kind of guy. Yeah. But he's like a robot. And I mean, his last fight, or the I guess the first fight that I watched him fight, they said, let's go at the beginning. He walked across the ring, picked the guy up off the ground, carried him back to his corner, dumped him on his back, and beat the living crap out of him. I think the first round strikes were like 111 to two. It was an absolute savage massacre. So he beat that guy. This is on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, by the way. And so he's already over there, and a guy who was supposed to fight the next weekend gets hurt or test positive for COVID. I forget what it was. It has to be out of the fight. So they put Kamzat Chemaev in again the next weekend, seven days apart, two fights. And not only that, they were at two different weight classes. He cut 15 pounds from 185 down to 170 between the two fights and did the exact same thing to the second guy, completely crushed him. And one of the funny things is all of his interviews, he kind of, he doesn't talk like Borat, but it's like kind of in that realm. <laughs> okay. But he basically says the same thing every time, just that he's going to smash everybody and take all the money. Like this is what he does. That's what he wants. Ooh, I love that. And who, sorry, who's he fighting? Uh, he's fighting Gerald Mearshart, who's a nobody. So this is what the UFC does kind of is when you got these guys who the hype train starts to build, they just kind of sometimes put trash cans out there in front of them just so they can just whoop up on them and continue the hype train. I mean, Gerald Mearshart's not a complete nobody, but. I fully expect comms out to kill him. And I just already can't wait for the interview because all he says in all of his, in his interviews are, I'm going to smash everybody. He keeps on tweeting Dana White that he wants to fight multiple guys in the same night or on back-to-back nights. Like he just, he's a machine. Yeah, that's insane. Clearly he's just as good at branding himself as he is at fighting, but it sounds like he's really cool. And if I'm picking based on names, I mean, Kamzat Jemayev is as cool as it gets, but who's he fighting? You said Gerald Mearshart. Mm-hmm. Based on the name, I might go with him. Give me the shark. <laughs> Sharknado? Yeah, Sharknado. <laughs> no, dude, I'm I'm looking at the odds now. Give me Young Shart plus 300. He's going to knock him out, so dude. What, so what's Kamzat at? Uh, Kamzat Chemaev is minus 400, and the Shart is plus 300. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm going Kamzat all day. He's a monster. All right, I'm going Shart Life plus so, 300. So you know who Khabib is, right? Uh, Nurmagomedov, yeah. Yep. So he's the undefeated 155 champion, and he and Kamzat have the same manager, and they're in different weight classes. So they're not going to fight each other, but their manager has called Kamzat Khabib 2.0. So if that tells you anything, he's a guy to look out for in the future. Absolute monster. Can't wait for Saturday. Let's go. Ready to watch some fights. Yes, sir. All right. Well, that's going to be it for our episode today. If you haven't already done so, please follow or subscribe our, to our podcast on Apple and Spotify. Also leave us some ratings and reviews so we can get this out and want more people to listen to this podcast. Also be on the lookout because I may or may not be on the radio this Saturday. I'll put something on Instagram if I am. Thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you soon.